Today's show is brought to you by Transporter by Connected Data. You can get your very own transporter at filetransporterstore.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 130, The Measure of a Man. Welcome in the Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Today on Mission Log, The Measure of a Man. The Measure of a Man. Sorry. I, I say about 5'8". Yeah, we did that joke, except we cut it out last week, and I can't, it's, it's, it's just it's as about dirty. about time, yeah. It's just as dirty this week as it was last week when I removed <laughs> it from, you know, the T's, so we can't. Yeah. <sighs> You know what we do here on Mission Log. We make dirty jokes that we then take out and nobody gets to hear. And we also look at every episode of Star Trek, uh, dissembling the episode to see dissembling or disassembling? I say dissembling. Let's say taking apart. Uh, Let's say taking apart. Taking apart an episode uh, to see if we can figure out what makes the whole thing tick. And uh, yeah, as John said earlier, this week, Measure of a Man. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Ken, if we figure out how it's built, maybe we can make more. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's the idea, right? We just populate the universe with a never-ending supply of great Star Trek episodes. If it's great, we don't know yet. We haven't gotten to that part. No, we have not. And, and we yep. never will unless we go ahead and plow through. Right. All right. So the most important thing, though, we got to tell people how to get in touch with us. Yes. Um, if you can remember the phrase Mission Log Pod, then you can find us in a multitude of places, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Mission Log Pod is the handle we use at all three. You can call us at 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments in an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And by the way, Ken, I, I might say that you know we've been doing this show for a little while now. It is so awesome to get email and comments from people who are just discovering the show and then they go back and listen to the old episodes and then they bring up things that i don't remember (laughs) (laughs) that that is fantastic it is awesome i love there is uh, one listener with whom i'm friendly uh Mm. who's sort of uh, well online only one not offline no 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 i'm friendly i'm friendly with at least three of our listeners (laughs) okay but but there's one in particular (laughs) yes who uh, goes back and listens to some of our old episodes and mm-hmm. she'll just send me a message like, oh, my gosh. And then she'll like do this one line that you and I did maybe a year and a half, two years ago. <laughs> right. I'm right. like, I got no clue what you're talking about anymore. It is exciting, though, when people like when people discover us for the uh, for the first time. There have been, yeah. been a lot more of that lately, it seems. And, and now you know how Bill Shatner feels at every convention appearance. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, except he's had however many you know decades now of people saying so that one time. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yep. Only 12 more years to go for us. (laughs) (laughs) And then we get to do the, uh, you know, the podcast conventions about what it was like to do our podcast way back in the uh, teens, I guess, when we started. So uh, you mentioned earlier that we got a thing this week. We do have a thing this week, a very exciting thing. Yeah. uh, A a sponsor, a Connected Data, makers of the uh, Transporter. Now, for people who got to visit us at Las Vegas uh, 20, what, 14? Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time talking about Transporter, but for people who don't know, it's basically a device that acts like a uh, like a cloud service. And and you say, well, why do I want a device that does that? I could have a cloud service that acts like a cloud service. But there are a few different reasons that a Transporter is really cool. Um, for starters, you, you pay for it one time and you're done. 
Do you remember the time, uh, John, that uh, mm-hmm. our executive producer signed up, accidentally signed up for like a $700 Dropbox account? <laughs> oh, those were good times. Yeah, but yeah. it lasted for like an hour yeah. <laughs> before he said, whoa, what did I just pay for what? No. So we right. backed off that, right? Yeah. Um, you can't, I don't believe, pay $700. Well, if you're running a small business or a medium-sized business, you can actually pay $700 for a transporter. You can, in fact, pay significantly more. But if you're like me or John or Rod... And you're just looking for, you know, sort of basic cloud functionality. Uh, you can't come close to paying $700, let alone $700 a year. So, I mean, one of the cool things is you get this cloud device and you pay for it once and that's your, you know, whole input as far as capital goes. Other really cool thing about it, though, is you know where your information is. I know a lot of people who don't like Dropbox because they have to pay for Dropbox year after year. I know other people who don't like Dropbox. One friend in particular who's an information security dude who refuses to do anything having to do with anything with Dropbox because he has no idea who has access to his stuff. He knows that he's got this sort of implied relationship with Dropbox, but he also knows that legally anybody could show up at Dropbox and say, hey, by the way, I'm going to need access to that guy's information. And there's no protection there as far as he's concerned. Right. So those are a couple of great things about the uh, about the transporter, certainly, and all kinds of things that you can do with it. Like we share... Uh, files back and forth with each other. Yeah, pretty much everything from Mission Log is stored and uh, and shared on transporter devices on our desks. Yeah, and then I've also got a... Um, so I've got this other show I do called Mac OS Can, which is a daily uh, Apple News and news related to Apple News podcast. And then there's a sort of publication that was grown out of Mac OS Can called um, iChart Magazine. And what iChart Magazine is, is it's basically, it's like a daily, eh, somewhere between 7 and 15 pages of Apple News and pictures and all kinds of stuff, right? But I don't sit down and do all that. What I do is I take all of my words, I take all my pictures, I put them on my transporter. Now, I've got a person who does the actual production of the magazine for me. She does not have a transporter. But because I'm sharing the information with her, I put the thing off my computer, onto my transporter... It sends her a message and says, hey, there's stuff here. She takes all that information, turns it into a magazine, puts it back on the transporter, then sends it back to me. And and then I, you know, put it up as a magazine and do that whole thing. Some people use it to store movies and, you know, extra files. Some people use it to uh, back up photographs. Some people use it as a good off-site backup for important information that don't want destroyed should something happen where they live or where they work. So, I mean, there are really just a ton of incredible uses for it. And uh, right now, because you're listening to this, they've got a really uh, cool deal for you as well. Won't you share that deal, John? Sure thing. Well, all you need to do is visit their website and go to filetransporterstore.com or you can go to filetransporter.com slash mission log. We will always have updated information there. You can get two transporter syncs for the price of one. This is incredible. If you remember the offer code ML Twofer, so that's ML, the number two, F-E-R, you will get a $99 discount. So that means that the two 
uh, uh, the two transporter sinks that you would have bought for $198 becomes 99 bucks. Now, when you have the transporter sink, you plug in your own USB drive to it, which means the capacity and, uh, and the replacement of that is endless for you. You can swap out drives. You can add drives. Um, it is absolutely a fantastic way to go. So remember the code ML2FER. That's ML, the number two, F-E-R, at filetransporterstore.com to get your free transporter sync when you buy a transporter sync. So that is really cool. There's another yeah. really cool thing that, uh, that's happening, uh, I would say, in 30 seconds or less, and that is, of course, uh, John Champion's trivia. Oh, that is so cool. All right. So let me share a little trivia with you. Today's episode, The Measure of a Man, was written by Melinda M. Snodgrass. Now, this is her first TV-produced script, and, uh, and it's actually one of the first things she ever wrote. So again, we can thank the writer's strike for this unsolicited story, and um, kudos to her. She was nominated for a WGA award for this script. Pretty incredible. Um, now, the title, The Measure of a Man, um, I'm actually going to save a couple of the quotes for later in the show. But suffice to say that the measure of a man is a phrase that turns up in history over and over and over again. Probably the oldest instance of that is Plato. Um, but it has been used frequently throughout by philosophers and, and politicians and speakers. And uh, probably one of the more recent well-known uh, uses of that was by Martin Luther King. So I'll kind of put that into context a little bit for you a little later in the show. But uh, it was worth mentioning that the title uh, bears some significance, obviously. It was directed by Robert Shearer. And uh, it is also worth mentioning that if you are watching the Blu-ray version of this show, you will find some extra footage, uh, nearly 13 minutes of extra footage that was restored for that. Um, now, as far as our discussion goes today, you honestly could have watched either the original broadcast cut or the extra footage version on Blu-ray. But uh, a couple of things that are interesting to point out. Uh, there is one scene in which uh, Nakamura and Picard, it is revealed, knew each other from serving on the Reliant. Uh, no, not, not that Reliant, uh, because that Reliant, well, got destroyed in the Matara Nebula, but it was another ship named Reliant. And uh, we get more footage of the going away party for Data, including Maddox being a, being a, being a Maddox. And uh, we get re the return of Picard fencing. Yes, we get a little more of the captain in action with his foil. Uh, in this episode, we got again to see the regular one space station, this time with a new name. And another use of my favorite set, the Battle Bridge. This time it became a courtroom. And uh, we also got a shout out to the Daystrom Institute. So that was a reference back to the TOS episode, The Ultimate Computer. The and Ultimate Computer! <laughs> Thank you, Ken. And of course, it's Dr. Daystrom who had developed that. And uh, Ken, you being, well, you being Ken, but, but to me, you are Mac OS Ken. I, I bet you were interested in the tech specs on data. We found out in today's show that you can hold about 100,000 terabytes worth of data. And, uh, you know, the more video he shoots on his iPhone, that is going to get eaten up in no time. So, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Plus, it's got them really cool camera eyes, too, so you got to figure Yeah, it. yeah. It's, yeah. like, even better than Google Glass. 
What's better than Google Glass? <laughs> Anything. Okay. Uh, and a couple of the uh, guest stars we're going to point out. Amanda McBroom plays Louvois, and uh, she has had many guest roles on TV. Uh, I was actually very amused that she was a voice actor for the Fonz and the Happy Days Gang, the cartoon that ran in about 1980, I believe it was. She is very well known as a singer and songwriter, too. She wrote The Rose. And uh, if you're of a certain age, you know that there was one point in uh, the late 70s that you could not escape the radio for more than an hour without hearing that song. Yeah, still, though, it's a good song. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I did, that's that's that, crazy. That was her. That's, that was that's her. crazy. Yeah. I know, right? All right. Uh, Clyde Kusatsu plays Admiral Nakamura. He attended Northwestern University. He is an incredibly prolific character actor with more than 250 credits to date. He has appeared, I love this, he has appeared as a judge in 14 different productions. He has appeared as a doctor in 24 different productions. I mean, different shows, not, not even recurring, but just completely different shows. Um, he does a lot of voice work and, and apparently just about anything else you can throw at him as a performer. And uh, finally, Brian Brophy plays Bruce Maddox. This was actually one of his earliest credits, uh, the first one being Max Headroom, of uh, which I know that you're a fan, Ken. And uh, later on, he appeared in such movies as The Shawshank Redemption and Armageddon. Could a character as straightforward and unassuming as Data have a nemesis? It kind of seems so. Let us let Ken tell us more. Prologue. The Enterprise is on its way to a new starbase, Starbase 173. Of course, if you've seen the starbase in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, you've seen them all, but it's important that this one is new. The ship will be swapping out crew and offloading experiments. Data, Geordi, O'Brien, Pulaski, and Riker pass the time by playing poker. Riker bluffs himself into a win, which perplexes Data. Put this in the pile of things about being human that Data does not understand. Sipping tea on Starbase 173, Captain Picard encounters Captain Philippa Louvois, a woman about Picard's age over whom Picard does not run tepid. He can't tell if he loves her or hates her, but his feelings are strong. Also, she was apparently out of Starfleet, but now she's back, so... Okay. Act 1. So it turns out that Lavoie is in charge of the JAG office for Starbase 173. No staff, but she's hoping they can make some good law out here. Well, I hope you're not still a horrible person, says Picard. Or indicates Picard. Turns out that Lavoie prosecuted Picard when Picard lost the Stargazer. Just doing her job, though Picard says it was more than that. She enjoyed it. She always enjoyed the fight more than getting to the actual truth of a matter. He hopes she's learned not to be so... her over the years. She says she's glad to see what a pompous ass Picard can still be. Also, he's still sexy. Louvois out. Well, Louvois out after exchanging pleasantries with Admiral Nakamura. He and Commander Bruce Maddox have approached Picard about something Maddox wants to do. First, though, they'd like to look around the Enterprise. Tour over, Nakamura tells Picard that Maddox will be working on your android meaning Data. 
Turns out Maddox and Data have a history. Maddox was the only member of the review team to advise against Data being admitted to Starfleet Academy on the grounds that Data was not a sentient being. Now, the work he plans to do on Data will involve him taking Data apart. Sorry? Look, ever since I saw Data, I was like, that's awesome! I've been studying the work of Dr. Noonien Sung, and I'm pretty sure I can recreate a lot of his work. Build a whole bunch of Datas. To be really sure, though, I'm going to need to take Data apart and study it. Data is intrigued, and surprised to hear that Maddox has been able to make a prosthetronic brain. And with good reason. He seems to have left out the brain part. Maddox says he's sure he'll be able to make the prosthetronic brain he built work once he takes Data's brain apart. At this point, Data has to decline. He's pretty sure the course Maddox has plotted will kill him. Of course, it's not up to Data to decline. It's up to Picard. He says he won't allow it, but Maddox has already arranged for a transfer of Commander Data from the Enterprise to Starbase 173. Data will answer to Maddox. Act 2. Data and Picard are talking over what happens next. Data says he won't go through the procedure Maddox proposes. Picard says... But what if he's right? What if he can make a lot more beings like you? Data responds with a question. Geordi's eyes are superior to human eyes, yes? So why are not all Starfleet officers required to have their eyes plucked out and replaced with cybernetic eyes? Data submits to Picard that the only reason anyone is considering this course of action is because Data is not human. Well, that was shameful. Now Picard is on a new mission, stopping Data's transfer to Starbase 173. A visit to JAG Officer Louvois, though, and... Nope, no way to stop the transfer. The safest way for Data to avoid this potentially self-threatening situation is to resign from Starfleet. Cut to Data's quarters, where he's packing up a few odds and ends. Maddox comes in, without knocking, hoping to calm Data's worries. Not gonna happen, though. Data is sure Maddox can download Data's... Well, data. But not the context. The flavor. What the French call... I don't know what. There is an effable quality to memory that Data does not believe will survive Maddox's procedure. Maddox is bummed that Data won't go along willingly, but either way, he says Data will go along. Except he won't. Data tells Maddox that he has resigned from Starfleet. He had no choice. He could not run the risk that Maddox would snuff out the wonderful truly unique thing that is Data. Act 3. Maddox has taken his crusade to the JAG officer. She has to stop Data from resigning from Starfleet. First of all, this whole thing is dumb. People are treating Data as human because he looks human. If he were a box on wheels, this would not be an issue. And second, he's sick of hearing about Data's rights. What about his right to not have his life's work ruined? Maddox then poses a new question. Would the Enterprise computer be allowed to resign from Starfleet? This gives Louvois pause. The Enterprise computer is property. Is Data? They'll have to look into that. Ooh, bad news. Based on the Acts of Cumberland in the 21st century, Jack Officer Louvois says Data is the property of Starfleet and cannot resign. Therefore, he must transfer to the command of Maddox and submit to his will. Picard says he would like to challenge this ruling. Louvois says that's fine, they'll just have to have a hearing. Picard will defend his position, Louvois will judge, and remember that part where this is a new base and Louvois has no staff? The second most senior member of the Enterprise will have to argue the side for Starfleet. 
meaning Riker will be arguing against Picard. And Data. Riker tries to decline, but the rules are the rules. Louvois says if he refuses to play his part, she'll be forced to issue a summary judgment against Picard. And if she feels at any point that Riker isn't giving his argument his all, she'll rule against Picard. So, good luck, everybody. Act 4. Picard tells Data that Captain Louvois has come back with a ruling that Data is property of Starfleet and that he cannot resign. Good news, though. They're going to fight it in court. Picard says he will defend, though if Data would like someone else, he can request them. Data says he has the utmost confidence in Picard. Though, if only Data had been awake through all of Riker's argument, though. He really made things look bad for Picard's side. First, forcing Data to acknowledge that he is an automaton made to look like a man. Then he has his arm removed and paraded around the courtroom. Data, says Riker, is an idea conceived by a man, built by a man, and now a man will turn him off. Which Riker does. Pinocchio is broken. Its strings have been cut. Act 5. Picard is in 10-4, talking with Guinan about how Riker handed his backside to him. Heck, he almost agreed with Riker. Eh, says Guinan, maybe it'll work out. And we'll end up with a whole race of disposable people we can put into harm's way without even thinking about it. Hey, says Picard, you're talking about slavery. Am I? Back in court, Picard starts whittling away at the prosecution. Commander Riker says Data's a machine, well, so do I, and... So am I. Just a different kind of machine. Commander Riker says Data was made by people. Again, so was I. Is Data property? He calls Data to the stand. He then unpacks Data's travel kit. It has nothing that Data needs. Just keepsakes. Symbols of friendship. Duty. Intimacy. Now Picard calls Maddox to the stand. So, you say Data is not sentient, right? Right. What's required for sentience? Eh, intelligence, self-awareness, consciousness. Picard challenges Maddox to prove to the court that Picard is sentient. Maddox says that's silly. Picard's sentience is a given. With a bit of artful argument, Picard not only brings Maddox to the point that Data is sentient, he seems to take him past it, arguing that the real issue is how Starfleet will treat the race of Datas that someone will eventually make. It is upon this court to decide now how Data and similar life forms that follow will be treated. Captain Louvois's mind is blown. This case is dealt with metaphysics, stuff for philosophers and bigger thinkers than she. Is Data a machine? Yes. But she has to rule that he is not property. Data formally declines Maddox's request to have his head torn apart. He does encourage Maddox to keep on with his work, though. Some of it is intriguing. Picard and Louvois have a date, and Riker gets not forgiveness, but thanks from Data. Had Riker not fought to have Data declared property, Starfleet would have simply ruled him property. Riker lost face, which helped Data. And Data will not forget it. The End extremely well done ken it is worth noting you, you you may hear a little difference in ken's voice today i know you're not feeling totally 100 percent. you're a little I, under the I, weather i feel like crap man <laughs> but, <laughs> but i also know that nothing would keep you from this episode yeah well you, 
would sooner upload your consciousness into a robot body and let the robot do the reading of today's episode. Nothing ineffable about me, dude. I would upload myself to a robot right now in a heartbeat. <laughs> if right. it meant that I could either breathe better or just not worry about breathing, either or. Right. <sighs> right. Okay. Well, you, you sound like a hundred bucks. Yeah. So <laughs> well done. Well Spent done. on cheap liquor and other bad things. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's pick it apart. Um, I have to say that the, the Picard and Louvois relationship kind of reminded me of Kirk and Ariel Shaw, um, specifically that he is a starship captain and well, she's a lawyer. Yeah. And um, I, I was intrigued by the Picard line. Do you know what I would like to do with you? <laughs> and then she calls him pompous and sexy. And we keep the details of the relationship a little vague. But wow, that's that, that's a more forward Picard than I think we have seen. Yeah, I, you know, I can certainly see why it would remind you of Kirk and Ariel Shaw. It reminded me more of Kirk and that woman who wanted to make the green memories in uh, the cartoon, oh, right? Because remember how she was just like so, like she was just one hundred and eighty percent Ford mm-hmm. on Kirk, mm-hmm. and Kirk was always like, eh, no. <laughs> Well, we don't actually get no off Picard, but I mean, seriously, I don't remember seeing anyone be as aggressive with Picard to this point, right? As as we're seeing um, Louvois be, right? Or yeah, it was kind of Philippa. Kinda, yeah, who I mean, who who remembers Doctor Crusher now at this point? That that <laughs> mild flirtation, you know? Yes, yes. He's sort of like, oh, sad eyes that you always got off Doctor Crusher. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Philippa will have none of that. No. No, she will not. Um, and Philippa does say that Starfleet is the most worthwhile place to be. And whatever she means right there, <laughs> or if she just means in the known universe, because I, that made me wonder what's wrong with all the other places. What other jobs did she have that she was like, man, there is nothing worthwhile here. I better go back to Starfleet. Well, I think she actually did a little bit of time um, doing corporate counsel for the Ditalics Mining Corporation. Mm, yeah, 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 good. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. I don't really know what she would have been doing. I mean, it, 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 it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, she is so Starbase 173 is is like on the neutral zone, right? Mm-hmm. Which I mm-hmm. guess means it kind of means it's on the frontier. I know space is the final frontier, but it's on the frontier of the frontier. You right. know, like if you if you hang a shingle between Earth and Jupiter. Yeah. There's probably not a lot of new law being made there. Right. There's not a lot no. of like questionable stuff going on there at that point. You know, unless some homicidal admiral is building a secret spaceship behind one of the planets in the solar system. But that's just made up stuff. Right. That's crazy talk. But if you go all the way out to the neutral zone, I mean, there might be like, you know, weird stuff still going on and questionable things. I mean, she's basically she's like she's like Philippa Louvois frontier lawyer. (laughs) Right. Or frontier judge, I guess, actually. Yeah. Which is uh, that's kind of a neat thing. Well, it is neat because you, you do have to wonder, like, how do you just show up in a place where there's nothing and say, I'm going to make laws here and yeah. then hope that people <laughs> sort of agree with that? You yeah. know, I mean, hey, idiot, it's Hat Tuesday. Where's your hat? <laughs> right. Then you right. hear about the law because we're, we're yeah. making good law out here. And and then you mentioned it's near the neutral zone, and we remember what happened in the episode, the neutral zone, at the end of season one. Well, the Romulans show up, and they're like, hey, there's a bunch of bases that got destroyed, and it wasn't us, and it wasn't you. Yep. So, okay, maybe we can legalize that to death and mitigate the threat. Are we sure <laughs> it's the same part of the neutral zone, though? Because, I mean, 
Well, know? it may not be the same part, but uh, Admiral Nakamura does say a thing about well, there's a lot of stuff going on out here. That's true. So <laughs> say that, yeah. which is weird because there really should be nothing going on at the neutral zone. No. Now that you no, mention no, no. it, sort of like that that space between North Korea and South Korea, right? Mm-hmm. There really ought to be nothing happening there. If there's any place where there should be nothing happening, oh, right, right. it should be the neutral zone. And yet, uh, yeah, as you pointed out. But, yeah, if, but- it's, if it's anything like the border between North and South Korea, though, every day for decades and decades, a representative from the North and a representative from the South will just show up and stare each other down. That'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, so can we talk about what a bad poker player Riker is? Let's do that. Okay. Here's yeah. the thing. Riker's a good poker player. Mm-hmm. He's got a great poker face mm-hmm. up until he wins. And then he shows everybody that he was bluffing. Mm. Guess what you just did? Lost every future poker game going <laughs> forward. <laughs> right, right. I would think, right? Because that's the whole deal. Right. The whole deal with poker is you don't get to see whether or not he was bluffing unless you stay in, right? Mm-hmm. Data should actually have won. Yeah. Because he should have gone ahead and called him. Because, by the way, what does he care? There's no such thing as money. <laughs> true, true. That's very true. So you're just playing for, you're just playing for chips. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you're playing to be able to say that you won. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet they're all like, oh, no, too rich for me. I can't. <laughs> I couldn't possibly. We used to play for candy when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. But, you know, you want candy. So, yeah. so yeah. I wouldn't risk yeah. all of my candy just to find out of that guy. But if it's just plastic chips and they're laying there and they're, they're not even trading for chores for crying out loud. I mean, they're really <laughs> just sitting there. That would be good. What? Yeah. Trading for chores? Yeah, absolutely. Well, something over which people would care, I yeah. suppose. Because, yeah, for some reason, data is like, oh, no, this imaginary amount of currency is far too much for me to risk. Mm. But then Rikers is going to go ahead and tell him anyway. And it is interesting because then Data, who can remember and recall anything, yeah, he should be able to put together an algorithm about the likelihood that Riker is bluffing. Yes. Should he not actually be able to just like test Riker's galvanic response just by looking mm-hmm. at him? You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, why, are, why, why are his pupils fluctuating just the tiniest bit? And why are his pores tightening just the tiniest bit? And right. Why is his heart rate elevating just the tiniest? I think he's lying to me. Right, right. You'd think. Oh, well. Speaking of the poker game, I I like how how we set up that idea of data not understanding nuance and and a lie, essentially, at that point. Because then I liked that scene between data and Maddox and data's quarters when uh, Maddox so rudely just walked in on data. Yeah. Um, it, It may have been a little too on the nose, but Maddox challenging data on knowing only the words rather than the meaning, I felt like, well, it's exactly the problem that Maddox faces with data, that that Maddox sees data as a collection of parts and then misses the nuance and misses the the overall big picture of what data means, as opposed to just seeing him as, oh, he's gears and positrons and servos and that's what makes him go. So I, I liked that that scene had multiple threads that uh, kind of started with that poker game. Yes. So it was very cool. Um, and uh, I, I did wonder, though, that even if Data had submitted to being under Maddox's command, would there have been a rule about the wanton destruction or careless use of Starfleet property or personnel? No. Because it, really, you don't think so? Maddox seems to just say, like, yeah, I'm just going to take this stuff apart. Like, even if he was, say Maddox was just like the computer repair guy. 
Yeah. And he shows up on the Enterprise. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, something's not working. The holodeck keeps trying to kill us. <laughs> and then he says, well, OK, what I'm going to do is completely take apart the Enterprise computer and possibly not be able to put it back together again. Right. That's, that's and, no problem whatsoever. OK. All right. Because you remember what happened with the Traveler, right? And the guy that the Traveler was traveling with. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he could just kind of come in and say, like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna mess gonna, up. I'm just gonna get in the ship and make it faster. <laughs> well, how are you gonna do that? Well, I am. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Well, well, you seem nice, so sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Although not really, you really seem nice as a matter of yeah. fact. But you say you can make a ship faster, and you know, you're well, you're not bigger than it, but you are you are um, carbon based, so yeah. probably it'll be fine. I mean, yeah. it's really it really did just come down to to more carbon chauvinism, which is kind of awesome to. Kind of awesome to be able to say those words again after so long. Right, right. Um, I, I I was kind of worried that it didn't take very long for Data's off switch to become public knowledge. Yeah. Because uh, he did say when we introduced that, he tells Dr. Crusher, like, uh, don't tell anybody. You wouldn't tell anybody if you had an off switch. And now Riker is just like, oh, look, on the schematic, there it is. Right. Yeah, that schematic didn't actually look like it was for Data. His, no, he, his head was exceptionally large in that schematic. <laughs> right. Didn't it seem? It was a little off. Yeah. yeah seemed like it was. Off. Can I ask another question about Maddox really quickly before we, yeah, I yeah. don't know if we're going to stay with him or move off of him, but should he not be significantly older? Mm, you because mean maybe like a Dr. Ira Graves type? Maybe that old, yeah. Or maybe yeah. even maybe even Sung's age. Well, the, well, we don't know how old Sung is at this point, mm. so I guess that's really kind of a silly thing to say. Mm. But he, I mean, he strikes me as what? What would you say, like... Mid thirties, maybe. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, but he was the one person to try to keep data from getting into Starfleet Academy. Right. Not even trying to get into Starfleet, trying to get into Starfleet Academy. Right. So that's going back at least what twelve years that we know. I, I at, think at least that much. Yeah. I think it's the number that we had put on it at one point. Yeah. So that means that Maddox was was maybe what twenty three when he was deciding <laughs> who gets to get into Starfleet Academy. Right. Right. Which, yeah. Is he even old enough to have graduated from Starfleet Academy at that point before he's deciding that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think he should have been an older character. Yeah, maybe he just looks remarkably young for his age. Well, maybe. He could be some alien something or other, except we are given to understand that he's human. Because yeah. that seems to be his biggest, you know, bugaboo with Data, is the fact mm -hmm. that Data's not human. We should actually probably circle back to that. Please, because you know that I'm operating on about 25% brain capacity <laughs> right now. And I don't mean 25% of my brain. I'm saying 25% of my normal reserves. Right. Uh, remind me to come back to, uh, to to that question about him because um, okay. I'm I'm curious about that. I will try to remember. Um, uh, one thing that I was interested in here is that um, uh, for a show that is centered on a trial, and, and obviously we have the constraints of a 48 minute TV show, but there's so little bureaucracy in this 24th century. There's no paperwork, no delays, no depositions or discovery. Anything. It's just cut to the chase. Oh, he can't resign. I guess we're going to have a trial. Boom. But we've got a courtroom on a starship, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's, again, it's frontier law, right? Yeah. 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 They're, they're making, they're sort of making it up as they go. Not as they go, but I mean, the, you know, they're sort of way, way out there. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it is pretty incredible how they just go and just decide, okay, this will be an important ruling, but we're just going to knock this right out. <laughs> so I did think that, you know, a, a less honest Riker, and, and I know that Philippa kind of addressed it uh, yeah. earlier on, but he could have just thrown the whole trial by acting like an idiot. You know, I, I mean, it, Picard could have said three words and Riker could have been like, well, you got me there. I guess Data wins. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a very that's, that's a very good point. Yeah. Although I did like that was an interesting. That was a good moment actually when when you see that Riker has figured out how he's probably going to win the case. Yeah. And he's he's very excited because yeah, yeah he you know if there's one thing Riker likes it's to win. Sure. And so he's like yeah I'm gonna. Win. Oh, I'm going to win, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, it was, it was a neat, very understated, very, you know, I like the fact that he didn't end up going to 10 forward and saying, so I figured out I'm going to win, but it's going to cost my friend, whatever, you know, it's like, no, no, we're going to play that out in like 20 seconds, him silently by himself. And that was really exactly as much as we needed. And it really was a good, it was a good, uh, it was a good scene as far as, uh, as far as record goes. Not to split hairs, but if Data had to fight to be allowed into Starfleet, how could he possibly be considered Starfleet property? Ken, this is your big moment. You just asked me in the last segment to remind you about Maddox. Yeah. Uh, it's a very important thing. Uh, what was it? And go. <laughs> you know what's sad is it seriously was less than five minutes ago that we did that, and it's already mm-hmm. gone. I'm sorry, man. Mm-hmm. I got well, okay. Well, I, we were talking about his age. Yeah. And how I agree with you, he should have been a bit older because yeah. it, it, not only is it the thing that just the timeline doesn't necessarily add up. I also feel like he's oh, that's somebody, it. Go ahead, yes, go okay, ahead. I was say I, I feel like he's somebody that I have to believe has been in this world for a while and has done other experiments and has been building up to this thing and convinced others that this is a good idea. Yeah. So I feel like he needs a little authority, a little seniority to be able to do that. And I guess I wish he were a little bit older because that tends to be one of the failings that we talk about in Star Trek, right? You've got older characters. Go back to Star Trek VI mm-hmm. and Discovered Country. What was the biggest problem that uh, peace between the Klingons and the uh, Federation was going to have? It was going to be old people like the David Warner character or the mm-hmm. Kirk character. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish Maddox had been a more established or an older character. I wish he had had a few more years under his belt. Now. Yeah. I mean, I knew 20-year-olds when I was 20 who had already decided about the world and nothing was going to change their mind about it. I've certainly known people younger than me today who have decided what they've decided about the world and they're not going to change their minds about it. But when I'm watching it on TV, especially when we're in this far future, like, hey, everything is awesome kind of you know, place, to find somebody who's like not even middle-aged yet having yeah. already decided, I would rather Maddox had been an older character who was sort of more set in his ways who then had f- to be brought around to it, as opposed to like a 30-something who's just a jerk. I got to figure it out for you. You know who's conspicuously absent from this episode? Uh, 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 well, a few people, but who? Dr. Pulaski. Pulaski is, is fairly absent. She's the card sharp, though. Watch out for her. She is, but we established already with her being on the show for a few episodes that she is that person who is cantankerous, cranky, stuck in her ways and distrustful of or, or at least at least not able to see eye to eye with the uh, the whole idea of data. She's the one who tested him with the whole um, Moriarty situation. Yes. So it, not saying that Pulaski needed to step in and be this person to disassemble data, but you kind of need that background to really believe that this person is going to come in and disassemble data and not care that they're going to disassemble data. I wonder if there was ever a moment that they considered having her take Riker's position. Oh, because yeah, that would have made that, more sense. I mean, yeah, because yeah. 
th- there was part of me that got a little bit frustrated where I'm like, okay, so we're dealing with a kind of a manufactured crisis here, right? Where, mm-hmm. okay, so we're going to take data apart. Well, you can't take data apart. Okay, well, it turns out you can. Okay, well, so now we got to argue about whether or not we can or not. Okay, well, Picard, you're going to defend that position, and that makes perfect sense because Picard, I mean, started off, you know, he, he was the one who laid the claim, right? Mm-hmm. Saying, I'm going mm-hmm. to say, no, you can't do this. Where you get the manufactured part of it, it's like, okay, well, somebody's got to argue for the other side, so it's going to be you, his friend, and now you're going to be put in this awful situation, and ah, you know, that there wouldn't be, like, they couldn't get Admiral Nakamura to do it, or the, or why could, uh, why could what's-his-name not defend it himself? Uh, the guy who actually wants to take the, Maddox. Why could right, Maddox right, not right. actually, you know, the guy who wants to take him apart, make your case, dude. Right. Just, yeah. I mean, I wanna is really not reason enough. <laughs> and so if you can't make a better case than that, then you lose. Or Pulaski will argue with everybody on the Enterprise about whether or not data is anything or nothing. Yeah. Right? And so now, put up or shut up. Well, no, we're going to make Riker do it. Riker, who doesn't want to do it and who, you know, has a vested interest in not. You, on the other hand, who I'm kind of curious why they didn't do that. Well, so Picard could have just said, hey, you know who on this ship really can't stand data? You should get that person, and that person is our doctor. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be kind of awesome. Actually, data probably would have volunteered that information. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's nearly talked me into turning myself off nine times. Really. She's good. She's she's good, Philip. Right. Right. Go with that. Um, you may have thought the same thing that I did. There's that exchange about the Enterprise computer being different because it's property. And I thought, whoa, really? Because we've already shown that it can outsmart data and it can kind of act like it's sentient or at the very least produce characters speaking for the computer that behave like they are sentient. I even think about uh, the Practical Joker episode of the animated series, and we found out a lot of stuff about the Enterprise computer here. Yes. Yeah. Would you you allow the uh, Enterprise computer to to resign from Starfleet? Well, God, no, because it controls the replicators, and I got to eat. I'd love to see that episode, though. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. It just says, I quit on every screen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I will say that as far as Picard's final argument goes about consciousness, you know, I'll kind of go materialist with that, uh, that, that consciousness is a product of our brain activity. And Picard had already established that data is a machine. We are machines. The, the, the mechanics, the, the building blocks of those machines are different, but uh, his brain is just as complex as a human biological brain. So I, I don't think he loses anything in that argument at all. Um, by not being able to necessarily define consciousness. Consciousness is part of the, the, the byproduct of the mind. The mind is a byproduct. It is the function of the brain. So I, I think he's totally on the right course with that. And, um, you know, we kind of got into that metaphysical thing about, well, I, I, I don't know if he has a soul. Do you know? Do you, so at a certain point, it doesn't matter. But I think it, it, from a materialist point of view, it actually uh, works out pretty nicely. Um, disposable people uh, that was uh, a very interesting phrase to use and, uh, and we brought up slavery and Guinan had that, uh, that line that you pointed out am I talking about that uh, people to do with as we please and can be obscured from history as property I, I found that scene with Guinan wrenching after watching it several times um, mainly because I love the way that it's played 
that it, that is quiet and it's dark and the moment of realization that Picard has is great. Um, so I just wanted to point that out as a terrific scene that I think then is able to steer the rest of this episode. Because I feel like this is one of those episodes we feel like is going to be one thing and then it turns into something else. Um, Maddox, if we can bring him up again. I, to me, he represents science without conscience or consent. You know, he could literally just ask data everything. And he, though, is driven by this kind of single-minded zeal in a way that we have seen other characters fail. You know, I mean, you go down the list, Admiral Jameson and Dr. Kingsley and Dr. Corby, and you keep going and going and going and going. And these people who can't, can't seem to ask the hard questions or, or put sort of their emotional investment in something aside from the science of what they're doing. Um, Data already said that he would be helpful, but there comes a point when the experiment is too dangerous and Data could die. (laughs) So Maddox doesn't seem to be bothered by that. It's unfortunate. Well, do you feel like... See, I went back and forth on Maddox. Does mm-hmm. he actually want to build a whole race of datas? Does he really want to build a whole fleet of datas? Or does he just have so so much hate for data that, I mean, does he really think that he's going to learn something from taking data's brain apart? Or does he just want to take data's brain apart because he's insulted by the fact of data's brain? Well, see, I had kind of a different take on it from any of those. I, I don't think that Maddox has decided to build an army of datas. I think that was the interesting projection that Guinan brought up. Well, no, Maddox, sir- Maddox said it in the courtroom. Oh, that's true. He he did say that. How yeah, many would there be? Hundreds yeah, or thousands, put, however many we yeah, need. Yeah. I honestly, I think the thing that is driving Maddox, his, his ego is at stake here. So here's Dr. Noonien Soong, a brilliant scientist who comes up with a thing and then disappears. And we don't really know how it works. Mm-hmm. Here's Maddox coming along like like a kid with a with a new toy or a new computer or something who can't wait to tear it apart to see how it works. And in Maddox's case, if he can figure out the way that it works, well, suddenly, if there's no equivalent of riches in the 24th century, there's certainly the equivalent of fame and prestige in the 24th century. He's the guy that everybody has to come to to figure out how positronic brains work because we can't go to Dr. Sung that we know of. Right. So even if he's not thinking that far ahead about what would an army of datas be like, he is thinking far enough ahead to say, like, I can be the guy. I can be the guy who cracked the code. If I'm not the guy who invented the smartphone, I'm the guy who created the iPhone that then becomes ubiquitous and people have to come to me to get it. Hmm. You know, I understand what you're saying. And certainly that's the image that he's presented to everybody. But he says that he only became interested in this since he met Data. And remember that his first meeting with Data was him trying to argue whether Data was anything special. Because Data wasn't sentient, then Data wasn't anything worth getting the Starfleet as far as he was concerned. But everybody else decided it was. And so at that point, it it becomes less Steve Jobs in the iPhone analogy, or it becomes Mm -hmm. less Noonien Sung in the Star Trek analogy, and it becomes more Ahab in the Moby Dick analogy. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is is his white whale. Yeah. And he, he wants to destroy it. 
And I know he's not saying that he wants to destroy it. And certainly if he went to Starfleet and said, look, this thing's really been on my nerves for the past 12 years. All right. I want to kill it. <laughs> right. Right. Starfleet's going to go. Yeah. You know, I don't think so. I think I think we're going to pass on that. But thank you very much for your submitting your proposal. Whereas if he can say, look, I think I can make a bunch of those. Let me start by breaking that one. Then, you well, know, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he wants to own it. You know, he, he, it's not necessarily to me anyway about destroying it. He wants to own it. Now, if the cost is destroying it, mm-hmm. then he's OK with that because he would rather say that he's the guy who took it apart and can potentially have this huge breakthrough to make a positronic brain that works. But but that's what's in it for him. Except I, he knows that he's not going to be able to do that. And I know he says he doesn't know that he's going to be able to do that, but he knows he's not going to be able to do that. because well, Maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, but down the road, maybe. He's going to destroy data, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and he knows that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But, but again, it, it, it's it, in my mind, it is Maddox looking at the collateral damage of, okay, he, my goal is this. And and I'm going to be the I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be the top of my field. People will come to me for this information. And if all I have to do is kill one android between now and that date, and even if I become a very old man when that happens, I will do that. Yeah, I don't know. All right. <laughs> now, uh, Picard, uh, as we said, he he pictures the time when there will be more datas running around once we've copied him. And, uh, and it's interesting because, you know, so far in Star Trek, we've not had androids running around, uh, certainly not Dr. Corby's androids, seem to be bereft of them, and data is quite unique. Um, but to me, this is a very important story for Picard, setting himself up as the statesman and negotiator, the, the one who sticks by the principles of the Federation and he's having to convince his crew and the judge the same way that Kirk had to convince his crew in the Corbomite maneuver. He's got to be the one to step up when everybody is like, oh, I, I, I don't know. What, what, what should we do with data? Is he property? Is he not? And Picard's one who says, no, 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 you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. We are creating the standard. We are setting the stage here for everything that comes after. And if we make the wrong decision now, then we are making a huge mistake for all time to come that says that we don't respect other living things the way that we say we respect other living things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Starfleet is not an organization that ignores its own regulations when they become inconvenient, is, is, uh, is what Picard said mm-hmm. during that argument, which I love. Yeah. It made me actually want to move to Starfleet. Oh, oh, nice. Well, let me know how that goes. <laughs> let me join you. Yeah. See what I can do. Yeah. We need to yeah. get, get me one of them uh, con refrigerators. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'll check in yeah. 200 some odd years from now and let you know how it went. Well, all we end up determining here at the end of the episode is Data's legal status. Not not a philosophical or metaphysical decision about his existence. I think that's what's really clever about this show. And Picard brings it home. So remember how I was talking about there are, uh, uh, there are multiple uses of the phrase measure of a man in, in history. And I pulled just two of those. So uh, Plato who said the measure of a man is what he does with power. And uh, Martin Luther King, who said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. I I lied. I'll throw in one more. Samuel Johnson, because I believe we talked about Samuel Johnson early when we were talking about Spinoza in um, Where No Man Has Gone Before. 
Johnson said, the true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. So hmm. let's talk about this episode in that context. Every time that I have seen this episode up until now, and, and until I got to really analyze it for this, I kept thinking about the measure of a man being data. Mm-hmm. about how does data measure up as a human being? How does data measure up as a life form? How does data measure up as something with sentience? It's not about that. The measure of a man is how we measure ourselves and how we treat those around us. So how does Maddox measure up? And then how does Picard measure up? And we ask ourselves, when we see someone who is different, who is odd, who is strange, who is not like us, how do we measure up when it comes to how we treat them? When we afford them the, the, the same right and the same dignity as ourselves. And I think that's where the, the whole crux of this thing is about Picard. And that's why I feel like this is his Corbin maneuver speech. And from now on, I will hold these two episodes kind of in the same regard because of that. Time now to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings of the measure of a man. So are we thinking of doing a show today? <laughs> home stretch, Ken. Home That's just, stretch. A, just an inside yeah. my own head joke. I apologize. Uh-huh. Of course, we've done this uh, fantastic episode. I, you know, I, 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 yeah, I hate to keep doing this, and I apologize. And I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, oh, woe is me, I'm so sick. I am sorry that I am only bringing maybe my B game here, <laughs> because this is an episode that, to me, is just so rich with so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I wish I had been maybe a tiny bit more in my game to talk about it. Uh, I think what you had to say that was absolutely fantastic. So let's talk about, you know, sort of summing the whole thing up. Because it's the part of the show where we do that, I think. Yeah. Where yeah. we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether or not the whole thing stands the test of time. I think, I mean, if you're going to liken it to the Corbamite maneuver, I think your answer is that this episode holds up. But let me go ahead and just, you know, formally put the question <laughs> to you so that you can formally say... Uh, does Measure of a Man hold up, John? Uh, yeah, it, it works extremely well. And, and the thing that I like here goes beyond the obvious. So, of course, I like the Picard speech. And sure, I love a good courtroom drama. And I like playing with the idea of consciousness, sort of, like I said, that materialist view of consciousness being a product of that. So, so how do we treat it then? But what's so cool is the ambiguity we get at the end. Data may or may not be conscious. He may or may not have a soul. We may or may not either. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. So I really liked seeing this anew and seeing it in order the way that we've done on Mission Log from the original series up until this point. Because we've already talked on Mission Log about machine consciousness, and we got to kind of play with that idea. But then this fits in nicely with this with those stories as a way to remind ourselves, as the humans are sort of aspiring to this enlightened Starfleet future, to say, well, when we get to that point, when we consider that there are other life forms that are not like us, here's how we need to approach it. 
here's how we need to accept that. Um, as a show, just as a piece of drama, th- there's a lot of buildup and then one very good payoff punctuated by a great musical sting and Picard's enthusiasm at the end of that drama. It, it just plays out incredibly well for a low-impact, low-action episode. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the same way that Corbin White Maneuver holds up for me, this one will hopefully continue to hold up for me as well. How about you, Ken? I... I think the only problem that I have likening it to the Corbomite maneuver is just the the high esteem that I hold the Corbomite maneuver in. Mm-hmm. And and for some reason to me the Corbomite maneuver was a bit more accessible to the general the Corbomite maneuver is basically some guys beating you up, you get the upper hand on that guy and now you can leave him for dead if you want to. Mm-hmm. And then you have to decide what kind of person are you? Are the the kind of person that would leave a guy for dead, or are you the kind of person who would go ahead and help somebody because you've always gone through saying, "Well, I'm going to help everybody," right? Mm-hmm. Does that sum up the Corbomite maneuver? Yeah, like very yeah. simply. Yeah, this feels to me a little bit more contrived than that. But ultimately, I do like the message, especially the whole. Once they introduce the slavery idea, once that's the thing that turns Picard's gears. Because mm-hmm. it's not about whether, you, as you say, it's not about whether data is sentient. It's about, mm-hmm. or sentient. It's about, are you who you say you're going to be? So right. I guess, yeah, I guess it is. It is very corporate maneuver in that respect, right? I mean, you say you want to be a good person. You say you don't want to destroy stuff for no reason. Fine. Don't destroy stuff for no reason. Even if you think you've got a justification for it, don't do that. Don't do that thing. I was reminded of a couple of things and again, I don't know if it's just because I'm out of it, but there were, there were two <laughs> things that came to mind and I couldn't shake them and they're going to, they're going to upset some people and I know they're going to upset some people and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I thought of was the recent destruction of, uh, of the museum, the, the history museum and was it in Syria? Oh, I can't, yeah. Or was it in yeah, Turkey? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember where it was, but by, by ISIS. As as people are, as we're recording this, this was a yeah. recent thing. Right. And basically, they don't like that, you know, history exists in a way that they don't agree that history should exist. And so now they're just destroying, you know, works of art that have lasted, you know, longer than most countries on the planet. Sure. Um, just because eh, they don't like it. And so they want to get rid of it. The other thing that I thought of, too, and this may sound crazy, and so, so really I'm going after... Uh, uh, religion and uh, and the environment with this. <laughs> there was a there was a cartoon that I saw recently that had a bunch of congressmen sitting around saying, uh, "But what if we make the world a better place?" And it turns out we didn't have to. <laughs> this whole I I, this whole idea I that I mean, yeah. so we don't know if data is worth protecting. Except mm-hmm. here's the thing. Things are worth protecting. Ideas yeah. are worth protecting. Doing what we say we're going to do is worth doing. I mean, that, yeah. that comment that, uh, that Picard made, Starfleet is not an organization that ignores its own regulations when they become inconvenient. I would love to live in Starfleet. Yeah. Because we are that people right now. And it's sad because I look at the Corbomite maneuver and I say, that's who I wish we could be. That would be awesome. And, and maybe we can be that. And then I look at what's happening with Starfleet in this episode mm-hmm. or what's happening with Maddox in this episode and say, yeah, that's pretty much us right now. And I love the fact mm-hmm. that Picard wins and that things get better, but um, but it doesn't feel like it, it works that way at this point. 
Yeah. Well, it's one of those moments in Star Trek, though, where you get to be reflective uh, uh, about our current situation and and current whether it's now as we record this or current as this was in 1989 mm-hmm. um uh, or or you know of course, you and I will will probably always go back and forth about a, a story like Star Trek VI, where we introduce or, or kind of reintroduce these ideas of, of racism, this kind of bigotry, and you say, well, but but maybe that doesn't happen in Starfleet. Maybe this is a better approach to take, where it's this kind of course correction to say, okay, we're we're all adults here, we're all on the same page, but here's something new, and we don't know how to deal with it. And you're absolutely right in saying that Picard looks at that and says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's conscious or not, self-aware or not, whatever those terms are they want to throw at it. He's here and we get to decide. We get to decide if we are going to behave as the conscientious and thoughtful and professional Adults who who have values who have values that we stick to, mm-hmm. data is different. That's a given. Fine. So, why should we treat him any differently than we treat anybody else who is different? We've talked about this before, and, and this is probably getting to the to the message part. You know, we we've talked about treating the unknown as the other, and then assuming we have some sort of provenance or power over the other instead of deciding that they're afforded the same right and dignity as everybody else. And that's what makes Starfleet, but on the bigger scale, the Federation, so much better and so much more an interesting idea to to, to aspire to is to say that everybody's got a place at the table and everybody everybody's inherent dignity is recognized when they have that place at that table. I would also say that, you know, Data's still a good sport about it in the end. He respects Maddox. He finds his work intriguing. Cooperation is a better outcome than forcible dismantling. (laughs) For Maddox, I would say ask permission first always and respect the answer that you get. Um, But ultimately, we have to ask ourselves how we will treat those who have no rights or who have lesser rights or live in fear of losing their rights. Because we see that every day in the world around us, that there are those who have fewer options or fewer rights or or the the bullied or however you want to phrase it. And Picard is making the case for saying that at the core, it doesn't matter. All that matters is how we decide to treat them. Things that makes this story really beautiful. Hmm. And so I and I I'm I'm with you on all of that. (laughs) (laughs) So do those messages hold up? I mean, the obvious answer is yes, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and maybe sadly they will continue to hold up because we need to continually remind ourselves of those things. Hmm. Well, that was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, Ken, a little business to take care of. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find more at Roddenberry.com. And for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, please check out Trek FM. That's Trek.fm. And for the latest Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, The Dauphin.
some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. In the Mirror Universe episode of this show, Data sues for the right to take apart Maddox's brain. And, he wins. Think about that. And transmission. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.